says he inhabits the praises of his people. This morning he's here. So we can have confidence that the presence of God is here. You know, a couple of weeks ago I had a dream. And uh, it wasn't a good dream. So in the dream, it was a Sunday morning and I was due to preach. And I was sitting over there and worship is going on and all of a sudden I realized I lost my sermon notes. <laughs> it is terrible. So I just got into a panic mode and trying to figure out where I lost my sermon notes. I'm running around the whole place. There was a filing cabinet at the back of the church. I'm going through the filing cabinet thinking, did I leave it there? And it was not good. And I'm looking out the window thinking, should I make a run for it? <laughs> now I'll get in trouble with Pastor Ben. He'll come chasing. And, <laughs> and that was it. That was the dream. And I woke up. No, that's not good. So I made sure I took some extra printouts this, this time. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe the Lord is saying, time to uh, stop relying on notes. I don't know. I said, Lord, I don't think I'm ready for it. <laughs> God is good, amen. So I was, earlier this week, I was, uh, as I was preparing my sermon, I had this urge to ring somebody. And this person goes to, comes to my small group that I run. She's 93 years old. <clears throat> Her name is Margaret. Margaret Courtney, she um, is 93, but her mind is uh, as sharp as a 25-year-old. She doesn't come to our small group every, every Monday night, um, but she comes when she can. So I had this urge to give her a call. Now, she's a very busy woman at the age of 93, you know, always going around to different community events and organizations and, and making Jesus famous. You know, and uh, wherever she goes, the room she walks into, she commands respect because Jesus lives inside of her. Man, I, I love hanging around with her because the love of Jesus just gushes out of her. You know, every time she, she comes up to my place, you know, she gets the royal treatment, you know. <laughs> she gets the best seat in the house. She gets an amazing coffee, whatever she likes, she gets 93 years old, running strong for Jesus. And I rang her. Uh, I said, uh, how are you, Margaret? She goes, who is this? I said, Josh. How are you, darling? She's an absolute sweetheart. And I said, Margaret, I'm ringing you because I'm preaching on a, uh, on a topic called eternity this Sunday. And I'm going to mention your name. Is that okay? She said, yeah, absolutely. As long as Jesus gets the glory. I said, I'll make sure I'll do that. <clears throat> And I said, Margaret, you have the word eternity written on your fence wall. Why do you have that word written on your fence wall? She said, well, Josh, that's a long story. She said, I was inspired by a man called Arthur Stace, who lived in the early 1900s. Some of you know Arthur Stace. This man was uh, born into a very poor family. His parents, his siblings, they were all alcoholics. He was, by the time he was into his teenage years, he got into petty crimes and 
always got drunk and ended up in the holding cells and watch houses and his life was a mess. And in, um, in 1930, August 6, 1930, somebody said to him, there was a church called St. Barnabas Anglican Church and he could go there and they usually give out a rock cake and a cup of tea after their men's meeting. That was a Wednesday. So Arthur wasn't interested in hearing what they, had, what they wanted to say, but he was looking forward to the rock cake. Now, I've never seen a rock cake. I don't know what it is, but he went for a rock cake and a cup of tea. So the man preached, and Arthur listened to what he had to say, and the Lord started to work in his heart. And that night, he went out. After he had his cake, he went out. He went to Victoria Park in Sydney, near Sydney University. This is 1930. He sat under a big tree, and he got on his knees, and he said, God, God, have mercy on me, for I'm a sinner. He had nowhere else to go. He's a homeless man. He got on his knees in the dark. Nobody saw him. And that night under the tree, he had an encounter with the Lord in a very profound, powerful way. Changed his life. And he had a born-again experience. And in 1932, he went to listen to an evangelist called John Ridley. 1932. And... And John Ridley preached on eternity. It was uh, such a powerful message. It, it, it shook the core of uh, uh, Arthur Stace. And he walked out of that uh, meeting. After the meeting was finished, he walked out and he found himself a piece of chalk. And he wrote eternity on the ground, on the pavements, on, on the walls. Wherever he went, he started writing eternity. From that moment onwards, this man kept preaching his sermon every day till he died. And it was a one-word sermon and said eternity. It is estimated, uh, after he passed away, it is estimated, uh, he wrote the word eternity over half a million times all over Sydney. If we can put up that picture, please, Brenton. There's that man, Arthur Stace. If you see that handwriting somewhere, that was inspired by Arthur Stace. And he always used to say, I went in for a rock cake. I came out with the rock of ages. <laughs> Amen. He made such an impact in the state of New South Wales, especially Sydney. Uh, if we can put up the second picture. This is New Year's Eve 1999. We were about to move into 2000, year 2000. There was a huge crowd there, fireworks everywhere. And after the fireworks, the word eternity illuminated Sydney Harbour Bridge. And there was a loud cheer in the crowd, eternity. So Margaret said to me, three years ago when she was 90, she wrote eternity on her wall. And she said, Josh, that's where we're going. And I want people to know as they drive past my place in Kabulcha that there is an eternity and that we need to be prepared for it. So back in 2021, um, myself and, um, and a few of my Christian brothers 
decided to go camping at, at Fraser Island. So I'm not a big camping person, but I, I, do, I do enjoy. <laughs> so I went camping with... <laughs> I went camping at Fraser Island, and I was so excited. You know, we arrived at the camp. So we, we, we camped at three different places, campsites, in a, period, you know, in a period of four days. So we had to move fairly constantly, seeing this magnificent island, just stunning beaches, everything, beautiful. But the first day we arrived, we unloaded all the camping gear and set up the camp, just exciting, put some music in the background, cooked a lovely dinner, had steak, and man, there was just stunning views of the beach. And this is good. Life is good. And second day, we, you know, got up in the morning, unpack, you know, unpacked all the gear and, sorry, packed up all the gear and four-wheel drive is loaded and ready to go. We, we do some sightseeing, fishing, four-wheel driving. And, and by four o'clock, we arrived at the new campsite. Same thing, unpacked, all the gear, tent is up. And I'm, I'm a little bit tired, starting to get tired. Not as excited as the day, first day. By day three, I'm starting to smell. No, no, no showers so far, except for one time we went uh, swimming in the in the freshwater creek, and my hands smell like fish guts from all the fishing. I'm getting destroyed by marsh flies and mosquitoes. Then you baptize yourself in the in the the, the insect repellent and. <laughs> And the tent starting to smell. It's not good. And the esky is just looking messy. And I'm tired. My back's playing up. And by day four, I started to fondly think about and appreciate my home. I started thinking about the warm showers at home, the lovely home-cooked meals. I started to think about my nice, comfy mattress. No longer getting stalked by dingoes. <laughs> no smell of fishes. And no, no, no bites from marsh flies or mosquitoes. So my four days of camping in the woods prepared me to appreciate home. So likewise, our life here on earth is full of sorrow, it's pain. The world is broken. And because of that, humanity groans for redemption. Deep down in our hearts, we long for a place that is forever. We long for a perfect world. We long for a perfect, when a young couple gets married, they have these dreams that, you know, man, my, my marriage is going to be perfect. But, you know, a few days into the marriage, they realize it's nothing but perfect. <laughs> we long for a perfect job. We long for a perfect, uh, uh, we long for perfect kids, perfect neighbors, you name it. But the sad reality is that perfection doesn't exist. And deep inside, the Bible says God has put eternity in every human heart. 
So deep down inside of every human heart, we long for a place that is forever, that's free of pain, free of sorrow. See, as Lewis said, if I find, my, if I find in myself desires which nothing in, the world, in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. See, what the enemy does is he will, he will make this world bigger and he will, he will entertain you with things that have no eternal value. And so your, your eternal vision is completely clouded and, and you keep doing whatever you want. See, I keep, um, I keep hearing this, this, this phrase from especially young people these days, you do you. I'm thinking, What? You do you. The world tells you, do whatever you please. Do whatever you like. You only live once. So, so knock yourself out. So God has put eternity in every human heart, the Bible says, yet no one can fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. So Michael Phelps, one of the most decorated uh, swimming athletes, you know, he won 28 medals and out of the 28, 23 are gold medals. And after he retired from swimming, he battled with severe depression. And at one point, he locked himself in, in, in his bedroom for four days in a row, contemplated on taking his life because he struggled with purpose outside of the swimming pool. He struggled with identity. And he came across Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life, which helped him have hope, saved him from suicide. Some of you may have heard of Tom Brady, one of the, one of the, one of the greatest American footballers to ever play the game. They say he's, he has, he's got no more room on his fingers to put the premiership rings, the Super Bowl rings. One of the, one of the greatest footballers to ever to play the game. But he said, there has to be more to life than this, but I don't know what it is. So what does it mean to live with an eternal perspective? Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18 says, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So living with an eternal perspective is having our eyes fixed on the unseen. And it is not natural for us to, to fix our eyes on the unseen. So God's given us the Holy Spirit to help us and guide us, direct our vision on the unseen. You know, there is more to Christian life than just being saved and just make it, make it through the pearly gates of heaven. You know, I think if that's the case... If, if getting saved is all there is to, I just don't see the point of me pressing on in life. May as well pack up and just, just go, to, go to eternity with Jesus. But God has given you and me life today. We've been given the gift of life. You and I woke up, as Pastor Ben said, he woke up, which is a good thing. <laughs> and God's, God's got a purpose 
There's a reason why you woke up. There's a reason why you and I are breathing today. Somebody once said, you know, Jesus, you're ready to die. But you don't know your purpose. You're not ready to live. So God, what is your purpose for my life? It's a question that we all like to ask. Lord, what is the purpose of my existence here so, so I can put my focus on things that are unseen? Lord, what is the purpose of my life so I can, I can realign my life in such a way so I can, I can prioritize things in my life and I, I, can, I can put my effort and energy on things that have eternal value? If you don't know your purpose, you're not ready to live. And God, through his word, has given us the answer to our question. Man, the Bible has all the answers you need. <laughs> yeah? There's nothing that this book doesn't have that you need in life. What is your purpose and my purpose? If we don't know the purpose, we, it is impossible to live with an eternal perspective. And that's what we're talking about today. You know, uh, in 2014, when I was in London, is when things really changed for me. I was very driven by wealth and career and all those things. I had a good job with Public Health England, and man, I, I, I was just happy. I thought I was happy. I walked through the streets of London, Piccadilly Circus, Oxford Street. I look at people coming in and out of buildings and train stations, and I, I, I realise something's not right. Money comes in, goes out through the other door. You work till you're 65, you may get to live another 10, 15 years, and your lights go out. No one cares what car you drove or what sort of house you lived in. Unfortunately, no one cares. What matters is, how did you live your life? Did you do things in your life that matters in eternity? So I came back to Australia and I, I decided, Lord, I'm going to pray and fast. I want to know my purpose. I'm sick and tired of sitting in the church pretending like a good Christian boy and then playing up. Something's not adding up. It's time we do business or I'm gone. And my life changed. There's nothing you could give me. You couldn't give me $100 million today and ask me to walk away from God. That's how good he is. Like Margaret Courtney said to me, Josh, I'm 93. I've been walking with the Lord for 93 years. And I can tell you this, God is good. Man, I had tears in my eyes. <coughs> so God has given us the answer in the Bible about our purpose. Psalm 67, verse 1 to 2, it says, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. So may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us. So humanity sinned against God 
And wages of sin is death, as the Bible says. And sin separated us from God. You and I deserved the wrath of God. You and I deserved to have God's face turned away from us. It is not a good thing when the king turns his face away from us. But God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will have everlasting life. <clears throat> On the mountain of Calvary 2,000 years ago, the great exchange took place when Jesus Christ took, took upon himself your sin, my sin. And the great exchange took place so that you and I could live, have everlasting life. And that, my friends, is the grace of God. And the psalmist sings, may God be gracious to us. He's shown grace to us on the mountain of Calvary through his son Jesus. And the psalmist also says, and bless us. May God be gracious to us and bless us. For he's already blessed us. The book of Ephesians chapter 1 Verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heaven in Christ Jesus. He has blessed us with everything that we need. So may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us. Because of what Jesus has done, only because of what Jesus has done, God the Father has made his face shine on us. There's nothing you and I have done. To make that happen. And because this happened, the psalmist says, and he makes his face shine on us, so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. So he has shown us grace, he's given us blessings, so that his ways may be known on earth, and, and his salvation among all nations. So in other words, he's shown us grace, he's blessed us so that through our lives, his ways may be known on earth and his salvation among all nations. <clears throat> in other words, God has a mission that started since the fall of humanity and that is to reconcile the world to himself. And you and I get the privilege to partner with him. To partner with God and in his mission and to glorify his name through our lives. And that, my friends, is the purpose of your existence and my existence. Some of you are thinking, man, I was just happy to just be saved and come to church and enjoy the coffee and cake and that's so wonderful. But now you're telling me, there is a purpose. Sorry to break it to you. There is more to Christian life than just that. Thomas Watson said, If we love God, we shall spread abroad his excellences, that so we may raise his fame and esteem and may induce others to fall in love with him. Love cannot be silent. We shall be as so many trumpets sounding forth the freeness of God's grace, the transcendency of his love and the glory of his kingdom. Love is like fire where it burns in the heart. It will break forth at the lips.
So this morning I want to turn your attention to uh, the book of Philippians chapter 1, uh, verse, 20, uh, verse 21 and 26. Brendan, if, you, uh, if you're able to put that up, mate, that'd be awesome. <clears throat> book of Philippians chapter 1, verse 21 to 26, and it says, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I decide to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being... With you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Now, the book of Philippians is written by Apostle Paul, one of the many epistles that he wrote. And it is understood he, he wrote this letter to the Philippians in AD 61. And uh, Apostle Paul is in chains in Rome. He's, he's arrested. He's in chains facing execution, possible death. And he's writing this letter to his, his, his friends, uh, the Christians in, in, in the city of Philippi. So in this, in this letter, he acknowledges and thanks the Christians in Philippi for the continuous support and love they have shown towards uh, Apostle Paul and his ministry in advancing the gospel. Now, his, his love for the church of Philippi is, is very, uh, very evident in the, in the letter, of, uh, letter for, Philipp, for Philippians. And in the letter, he urges them to adopt the same joy that he has and to live out their Christian faith in unity. Now, you've got to understand this man is in chains under the brutal empire of Romans. And he says to the Philippians to have the same joy. As he has, he reminds them the joy of the Lord is, is independent of the out, outward circumstances. It is independent of the adversities that you go through, sufferings, persecutions, you name it. He says, count it all joy. So here we have a man who was once a religious leader. He, was, he, was, he used to persecute Christians and drag men and women out of their homes and, and and persecute them, put them in jail for their faith in Jesus. And then he has an encounter with Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. And he gets knocked off his horse. And now Paul, the chief of, Saul, the chief of sinners, becomes Paul, the born servant of Jesus Christ. And this man makes a radical statement here. He says in Philippians chapter 1 verse 21, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I decide to depart and be with Christ. Paul is saying, he's, I, I am torn between the two, whether to depart and be with Christ, which he says is way better, is far better. I'm torn. Or do I stay here and serving, serving Jesus? He wanted to depart and be with Christ, but he's saying for the sake of gospel, 
for the sake of the friends in Philippi and, and, and others who are yet to receive the gospel, I choose to press on, he says. He says, it is more necessary for you. It is more necessary for you. Man, talk about self-sacrifice. Paul isn't saying, you know, if, if the Lord allows me to live on, I'll just retire and buy a waterfront house, just go fishing every day, live out the rest of my life, maybe buy a caravan. No, he's saying, for the sake of the church in Philippi, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of those who are yet to receive the gospel, I choose to press on. And he says, it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. <clears throat> in other words, he's saying, if there is one reason I want to live on, is to help advance the gospel. I just don't see another reason. I'd rather go and be with the Lord. To live is Christ. And what does it look like in real life? What does it look like? In real life, to live is Christ. And we are given the answer to that question once again in the Bible. In verse 22 says, If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor. Fruitful labor. Here Paul is convinced that his purpose of existence is fruitful labor. To him, the continuation for living is an opportunity for him to advance the gospel and become the salt and light of the world. And so he can lay up more treasures in heaven. We as Christians are here on earth for fruitful labor. God isn't calling us for any kind of labor. It says fruitful labor. Labor for things that matter. Labor for things that have eternal value. And what, what, is, what does that look like? Fruitful labor is working to see people saved. Fruitful labor is helping people grow in Christ. Fruitful labor is caring for the needy. Jesus said, whatever you do to the least of these brothers and sisters, you do for me. Man, that, that carries eternal value. Fruitful labor is using your God-given gifts and talents. Put that to use so his name be glorified. That's what Paul is saying. Fruitful labor. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. No, it doesn't mean you ring your boss tomorrow and say, I've quit my job. You know, I want to I wanna stop doing this. No, that's not what it means. What it means is there's never a time in your life, doesn't matter what it looks like, we're always in fruitful labor for the Lord. We never stop serving the Lord no matter what it looks like. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10 to 15, it says, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, 
and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on his foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. My question for you this morning is, are you living your life with an eternal perspective? What does fruitful labor look like in your life? Are you content with just being saved and just coming to church? And that's wonderful. (laughs) It's great to see everyone. But you are breathing today because there is a bigger purpose. One day we'll stand stand before the Most High God. We, We will have to settle the accounts. And you say to him, Lord, Here is my property portfolio. Look what I've done. (laughs) I worked hard. Look at the car I drove. I'm not bagging that. By all means, go and get whatever (laughs) you get. But your your priority should be fruitful labor for the Lord. None of those things will matter in eternity. If I can, uh, could you please put that picture up? This was a picture taken last year, Christmas, 2022. Um, That man sitting next to Krupa on the left, his name is Charlie Morris. He was an uh, ex-bikey gang member for the Bandidos. And we met him um, at Scarborough through my friend Greg, who was an ex-ice addict, saved by the grace of Jesus, currently a street preacher in Redcliffe. And I met Charlie Morris through Greg. And we met him in September last year, and we've been, you know, we went to Scarborough many times, ministered to him and took him fish and chips. Notorious criminal he was, spent 17 years in prison, for shooting two people, attempted murder. But long story short, we had the awesome privilege to do life with this man a short period of time. And a week before Christmas, the Lord spoke to me to invite him to my place for Christmas dinner. So I went to Scarborough and I said, brother, what are you doing for Christmas? And he said, no, I'll be, I'll be at camp, brother. It's fine. I said, you're coming for dinner at my place. No, 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 I don't want to intrude into your family life, Josh. You enjoy with your family. I said, you are family, you're coming. So that is Christmas there. The amount of times this man wept at the table and he said, no one's ever done anything like this for me. My family doesn't want me and I've done a lot of horrible things in my life. And... um, 
I gave him my personal Bible as a Christmas present, and he wept, and he said, uh, that's the most precious gift I ever received. And we uh, organized for him to go to Harvey Bay Transformations Rehab. And I organized a big barbecue for him at the, the back of my place, invited a whole lot of friends and wanted him to uh, have a good time before he went away. Two days before that barbecue, he passed away. And, um, and I'm not a cry person, but I was quite impacted by this. I don't know why. Because I came out of calls with all the barbecue stuff in the trolley and I get this phone call, Charlie's gone. And um, instantly the word eternity came to my mind. Oh no, Lord. No, he, he didn't make it. I thought in my heart. Lord, he didn't make it. He needs to, he needs to be raised from the dead. So I went, I went to Redcliffe that night, heavy police presence ex-bikey, and uh, I couldn't go inside. Uh, I had a friend with me. I couldn't go inside, but we waited for a couple of hours, and I said to the police, do you mind if we go inside and pray for him? They thought I was weird. So I went inside, and I said, Lord, raise this man from the dead. He needs to get back on the Harley, not for the Hells Angels or the Bandidos. He needs to ride for you, Jesus. Sorry. I said, rise up in the name of Jesus. He said, believers shall lay hands on the sick, they shall recover. You shall raise the dead, Bible says. I stand on your word, Charlie, get up. And he didn't get up. And they transferred his body to John Tong Center in Brisbane. Uh, forensic and scientific services. And I drove myself with my wife, Krupa, to John Tong. Parked my car there. Started praying. Rise in the name of Jesus. Jesus, you are the resurrection and life. This man needs to get up. I said, Charlie, I know you're in there. I haven't got all day, mate. Rise up. <laughs> Rise up and walk. And I was expecting the alarms to go off and Charlie to walk out. But I didn't see the miracle. But you know, what I choose not to do is believe anything but the word of God. I said, God, I didn't see the miracle I wanted, but thank you for the many opportunities that will come my way to lay hands on the sick, to lay hands on the dead. And I said, thank you, Lord. But I was very burdened over the next few days, and I, and I, and I thought, no, he didn't make it. I didn't get to say the salvation prayer with him. You know, although he sent me videos of him taking pictures and of the sunrise, and you say, Joshi, look at, look at what he created. And I went through all the text messages, and, you know, and I, I was very burdened. And one morning, the Lord spoke to me, and he said, son, he's home. He said, son, he's home. And, and the burden lifted off me. And I have confidence, he's home. Just like that thief on the cross, he didn't pray the salvation prayer. He didn't get to attend a small group. He didn't come to church. He just said, remember me. And Jesus said, truly I tell you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Um, the reason why I wanted to share the story is, man, I look back at this, this picture 
And I think there is absolutely nothing more precious than to invest your lives in souls. I thank God every day for the privilege Krupa and I had to minister to this man. It made an impact in his life. You know, while we had dinner together, I didn't know in a month this man is going to be dead. But God placed this man in our lives for a reason. You and I are put on this earth for a reason. And that is to be in fruitful labor for the Lord. Because that's what counts in eternity. And we don't dedicate our lives for fruitful labor because we want to be recognized by men or get positions or titles. We do it because we love Lord. We do it because we obey Him. There's a story of an old missionary named Samuel Morrison who after 25 years in Africa was returning to the United States to die in his old age. As it so happened, he traveled home on the same ocean liner that brought President Teddy Roosevelt back from a hunting expedition in Africa. When the, when the ship pulled into New York Harbor, the dock where it was tied I was completely jammed with what, looked, with what looked like an entire population of New York City. Bands were playing, banners were waving, choirs of children were singing, multicolored balloons were floating in the air, flash bulbs were popping, news, media, everything was there. Mr. Roosevelt stepped down to a thunderous cheer and applause showered with confetti and, and, and ticker tape. If the crowd had not been restrained by ropes and police, he would have been mobbed. At the same time, Samuel Morrison quietly walked off the boat. No one was there to greet him. He slipped alone through the crowd. Because of the crush of people there to welcome the president, he couldn't even find a cab. Inside his heart, he began to complain. Lord, the president has been in Africa for three weeks, killing animals. And the whole world turns out to welcome him home. I've given 25 years of my life in Africa serving you. And not one has greeted me and even knows I'm here. In the quietness of his heart, a gentle, loving voice whispered, But my dear child... You are not home yet. <laughs> How good is that? Amen. If I could please invite the, uh, the band to come up. This morning I want to ask you the question, are you living your life with an eternal perspective? What does fruitful labor look like for you in your life? And let me challenge you, there is more to Christian life than just being saved. And I want to open up the altar this morning. Maybe you are here this morning and you never had an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. You're on the fence about this whole Christianity business. I'm not too sure about this. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And Jesus said, 
I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Eternal life is only possible through Christ Jesus. If you're here today and the Holy Spirit is moving in your heart and you want to give your heart to the Lord, I'd love to invite you to come to the front. Can we all stand up? I'd love to invite you to the front. For those who want to receive Jesus Christ, today is the day. Tomorrow is not guaranteed for anybody. Charlie Morris, the notorious bikey, was only 42. It shocked me when he passed away. The first thing that came to my mind when, he, when I heard the news was eternity. Today you are alive. God's given you the gift of life. So I urge you, my brothers and sisters, give your heart to the Lord. And maybe you are here this morning and you want to dedicate your life to fruitful labor for the Lord. And you may not know what it looks like in your world, but we, we got the Holy Spirit to help us and guide us, to give us the wisdom how to move forward. And maybe that is you. You want to you commit your life for the work of the Lord. It doesn't mean quit your job. What it means is it doesn't matter what your life looks like, how busy you are. Man, there was a time in my life I said, once the problems go away, I will start serving the Lord. And I realized there is no such day like that. You just get going. So if that is you this morning, you want to dedicate your life for the fruitful labor of the Lord, can I invite you to come forward as we worship? The prayer team would, would very happily stand with you and pray for you. Margaret Courtney said to me, I'm 93 years old. She still drives to Sydney once, uh, once a year <laughs> at the age of 93. She keeps herself fit for the service of the Lord. She said, there is no retirement for me, Josh. I will continue to serve the Lord until the lights go out. Man, I, I to say that I'm inspired by this woman is an understatement. To say that I'm inspired by Apostle Paul is an understatement. So if that is you this morning, I would invite you to come to the front. would love to stand with you and pray for you. And uh, thank you. God bless you. Amen.